Well, good morning. You've given us a, a number of questions, and we'll start with a few of those. Um, one has a 19-year-old daughter. She's involved in church and functions, and uh, I guess she lives at home. The only thing they ask her to do is to clean her room. And, uh, Mom, get over it. It's her room. And if she's going to be in her room and she wants it to look like a pigsty, let her live in her room as a pigsty. If you say, well, I want that room clean, ask her to move out. So if you want her, you know, she's a good girl. She loves the Lord. She's going to church. And, you know, kids today, um, (laughs) you ought to see his office. Dude, it's in our church building. People walk by there. Can you at least shut the door? Okay? So that, that's, my, that's my point on uh, keeping a clean room. Homeschooling um, is sometimes prone to creating a bubble in which a child is raised only to run hard into the world at first opportunity. Um, you know, I want my kid in a bubble. And to think your kid is not in a bubble if you homeschool them, you're highly mistaken and you're misinformed because my kids came home, uh, like our son, eight years old, sitting in the back seat of the car, coming home from Royal Rangers, and I went, what did you just say? And he was saying words that I have never said in my life. And our kids, uh, we can't keep them in enough of a bubble. And we make serving the Lord a privilege, we make serving the Lord a pleasure, we make serving the Lord fun, and why would they want to leave that? One of our goals as a church is to make church so much fun that if our kids ever got away from the Lord, they would always look back and say, church was the most fun part of my life, and when I get to a point of desperation, where do you think I'm going to go? I'm going to go back to the church. And... And so make life so much fun, and um, I want my kid in a bubble. It it says, how can we raise kids to be lights in a dark world? I have people come and say, well, I want my kid to win their world. And I'll go, when was the last time you witnessed to somebody? And they'll go, I've never witnessed anybody. So you want to force your little 8-year-old to go to a school to win people to Jesus because you're a sissy. Uh-oh. I, I, I'm sorry that I'm... Pastor John, you'll have to get another speaker for next year if you want it watered down. How <laughs> many understand what I'm talking about? I have parents say that all the time. I want, I want my kid to go win people to Jesus. When was the last time you did it? When was the last time you tried to do it? And so you want to throw your kid in a public school where they're being devoured by people who are agnostic and atheistic and they're teaching them, and peers. And and so I want my kid in a bubble. I want my kid to be so enthralled and thrilled with church and Jesus and all those things that when they... And you don't just one day they're in the bubble and the next day the bubble bursts and they're in the middle of it. It's going to get gradual. When, When they were juniors, seniors in high school... They got jobs. They were in the world. So Uh, I will throw in with that that um, when we're talking about school, we went to.
football games at our high school that we would have gone to. Um, I went to many games because friends from school were people that were cheerleaders or, I mean, sorry, friends from church were, were on the football team or they were cheerleaders, they were in the band. And we went to tons of Jonathan Alder football games. And it wasn't even once we got to an age, like you said, then you start to be able to be a part of some different things and different realm. It wasn't like we never saw anything. And he mentioned jobs. If you go get a job anywhere, unless I don't know where you're going to find a job that's not, guess what? You get your first job and you, as a parent, have a responsibility to say, so what are the people like? What are the situations? What, are the, what, what goes on there? And, you know, so you're, they're going to be, we will be, I was, plenty of opportunities to realize or to figure out what should I do when someone, even in my situation with where I worked for construction guy, a friend from church is there and he's trying to get me to, to chew cho- chewing tobacco when I was like 16 years old, right? Just because he thought it would be funny, mostly. I mean, I think that's the reason. But we have, you know, you, you are put in positions and where you talk through positions and, and opportunities and um, so, yeah, I, the bubble thing. I want my kids to be in a bubble as long as possible. Not that you're hiding them from the real, real nature of the world, but that you can talk them and train them and teach them instead of say, here you go, go with 500 or 2,000 or whatever kids and hope, hope for the best. And uh, the, the whole witnessing thing that I want them to be a light, that is such a huge thing. And I go back to yesterday and consistency. If you are someone who you're reaching your world and you're consistently out there and you're doing what we're called to do and what our commission is to do, then I think both of us would be a lot more like, this sounds good. This is something you do. It's something you teach. It's who you are. And as a family, it's going to make sense for your kid to go to a place where they could do that. Like that makes a lot more sense. But if it's just talk and if it's just, I want them to do this even though I don't, they're, they see you, and they're not, I mean, in my opinion, they're not going to be like that at school if you're not teaching them and leading them in that. And so that, that is such a huge thing. Now, if you are, and if your kid, if they can win the, the, their school for Jesus, we're with it. That's great. But it's got to be a family thing, and it's got to be something that you're showing them and that you are training them up in. And, and we lose a lot more kids who are in the church to the world by doing that than we have the world coming into the church because of our doing that. Okay, did you follow that? Okay, let me hit a couple more real quick, and I'll combine a number of questions with one answer. Um, have a 19-year-old child that they may not have been given enough time. Can I repair that? What if I was not a Christian when they were children? What if I did not have this information when raising my children? In other words, I was a Christian, but I, I you know... I hadn't, I hadn't gotten in the program yet, and I didn't have the training myself. What if I did it right, but they've not followed the Lord? Um, let, let me just sort of summarize all of those. Uh, repent to them. There's something about going to your children and saying, Mom and Dad were wrong. We ask you to forgive us for not being the mom and the dad that we should have been or we could have been. There's something about humbling ourselves. We as people, we hate humbling ourselves. And humbling yourself will heal and will, it'll fix a lot of things if you learn to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. Here's something I teach our church. Don't say I'm sorry. Pastor John has seen me use this one. Somebody comes and says, well, I'm sorry. And I'll say, you're the sorriest person I know, so shut up and give me something else. 
Did you get that? To repent is when you say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Don't say I'm sorry. Say I was wrong, God has spoken this to my heart, and will you forgive me? And so if you, uh, if you weren't a Christian, you can go to your kids and say, since I raised you, I've had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and the way I raised you was not right. I ask you to forgive me. And all of a sudden, that puts the Holy Spirit involved in a lot of working into that, into that person, that child's heart. You didn't have the information. You do the same thing. You humble yourself and say, Mom and Dad, we were just growing in our faith. We were growing in our knowledge of what we should do. And we, w- we want you to know we were wrong in many of the things that we did. Will you forgive us? And we want to help you anything that we can any way that we can, we want to speak life into your situation. And all of a sudden, if you have a kid that's agnostic or atheistic or they're just not following the Lord, they start saying, there's something about the heart of mom and dad that has totally changed, and they want to know what it is, rather than you having to beat them up and say, now you're going to listen to me tell, tell you about my faith in Jesus. No, what you want them to do is to come and desire what you have. And so let your humility be, be that platter that begins to feed them, the fruit of the Spirit out of your life. Don't beat people with Jesus. You know, we had a guy who used to come down to Ohio State University, stand on the corner and scream, you're a bunch of harlots and whores and prostitutes. You need to repent or you're going to hell. He's still there? Oh, my goodness. Um. So explain to to them that the Lord's been teaching you and humbling you, and and you want to humble yourself before them. It it has a big impact. I'll throw in, I mentioned fostering yesterday, and uh, that's something that Rachel and I are are doing. Obviously, we don't have another kid today, so we didn't get a call yesterday, but maybe today. But I I wanted to throw in uh, a thought on that. When we started doing this, we wanted to adopt. That was our goal. That's why we went through the foster, or we're going through the foster agency, because it's free. Like we're like, wow, we can adopt for free. We don't have to spend tons and tons of money. Ten to forty thousand dollars to adopt overseas. Yep. And so when we started doing it, we had to take all these classes. We got into these classes, and all of a sudden, we found out that we get paid to take care of kids, which both of us were like. That is nice to know. That's kind of a cool thing. And the, uh, we love how we found out because it wasn't like, oh, man, we get extra money. It's going to be easy or help, whatever. It will be. It will be helpful. But something that as we have been going through this process, and truthfully, we, I haven't figured out exactly how, but as we continue through it, we believe at our church, God's going to use our church in a huge way in the foster uh, system to bless kids. Uh, but something that we began to realize is that there's many people, I believe, that would be more than willing or they would love it to be able to take a kid or two and to raise them and to be a part of their life, whether it's to, uh, to adopt in the end or whether it's just to be a foster parent for years and years or whatever that would look like. I believe there's many people that would be willing to do it, but they can't quit their job because they, they make enough that they, you know, it, it wouldn't work. They wouldn't be able to survive. Or you know, if they quit their job, how would they be able to eat so they couldn't even pay for the kids or you know, whatever it would be. And I encourage you to look into, if you have any desire, you want to be a stay-at-home mom, there's a possibility that your desire to raise a child, that it could be possible 
to go through the foster agency and to be able to get enough money to compensate you enough to be able to quit a job that you may or may not really like anyways, and that God could use you to bless a child or two or whatever God would lay on your heart, and that it could be something that would change your life, but it would also change a kid or two, or if you're in foster, you know, however that worked out. And, you know, that's something to me that is such a huge thing, because there's, obviously we love kids, otherwise we wouldn't be opting, and we wouldn't have four of our own. Um, but we hate when we come to a Royal Family Kids Camp that's here in a few weeks to see so many kids that have been abused and neglected and hurt. And now they're with foster parents. And even there, sometimes the foster parents are not what they, the kids need and they're just not as quality as they should be. And that's where I believe the church can rise up. And so if you say, I, can't, I just can't do it because of finances or because of those things, I encourage you just to look into it, to, to just ask questions. I know Adriel um, is who we're going through. There's many other, Bear Foundation, I think, and some different places that you can use as an agency. And you can call them and say, hey, we're looking to do this, you know, and ask them. Just be real. You know, we, we would need, you know, basically, you know what you would need to make it happen. And then you can trust God for what else, the extra. But, and ask the question. See what could happen. See how God could use you to rescue a kid from a terrible situation and in the long run, man, to bring kids to Jesus. And maybe it would even let you stay home with your kids or maybe it would let you do what your heart's desire is and has been. And so I just encourage you, check it out. The Foster uh, System and Adriel, they're a Christian organization. They do a really good job and they're very helpful. So let you know if it would work or if it wouldn't work, whatever your situation is, any questions you have. Uh, one of our AG pastor's wife uh, from Sydney She's one of, the, one of the big workers in it, and she'll, she'll help you. Yep. Uh, today, help my family is a circus, and today we're looking at the subject uh, uh, that's going to examine the extended family. So we're going to be looking at aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents, cousins, sisters, brothers, in-laws, sometimes outlaws. Uh, we're looking at all the people that come to your family reunion if you were healthy enough to have a family reunion. Uh, Pastor Larry Fletcher from New Philadelphia, he told me that they had a, uh, a Fletcher family reunion and they had over 75 people at their family reunion and it, it, he said it was really interesting. Um, I want to give you some family examples from my own family. My older brother was married to a girl named Phyllis. She was uh, from the nation of Lebanon. She had 51 first cousins. They had all moved to uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And any time they got together, it was a circus. Uh, my brother said that these cousins, they would just show up on a Sunday afternoon, knock on the door. He would open the door, and they would go, Hi, we came over to spend the afternoon and eat all your food and uh, just uh, gobble up your time. And my brother would go, Not here, not now. Bam, and slam the door. And that caused some really good family feelings. Um, some of them didn't speak English. Uh, you know, it's really weird when you're sitting in the living room. I, I remember being at a family gathering down there, and everybody is speaking other languages. And I said, this is just like Sunday mornings at Bethel Temple in, in Dayton. <laughs> um, the food their grandma fixed, it was like none other. I mean, I, I would love to be able to go back to that grandma's house today and eat some of that food. Uh, the smells, it, it was so scrumptious. It would take your breath away. Um, I, I remember they had a large living room, and, and at Christmas one year, we walked in. They literally had presents this deep 
two-thirds of the living room. And it, it was like, okay. I, my family was not a wealthy family, and, you know, we would have one or two little presents, and we walked into this situation, and then my parents were embarrassed because everybody was giving us presents, and we weren't giving them presents, and it, it was different. Phyllis's dad, um, my brother's wife at the time, uh, he owned the largest meat market in Louisville, Kentucky. Many of the family worked for him. And then there would always be the discussion about how he's not working and we're all working so hard and he, you know, and how do you fix that thing? Um, one fourth of July, they were shooting off fireworks and one of the, one of the firework uh, launcher pads fell over and it started shooting at the crowd. And uh, Phyllis's brother ran and he saved the rest of the crowd by taking a rocket in the eye and going blind in one eye. Uh, family can be a circus. And in the book of Genesis, there's a family that, as I was uh, doing this study, I was drawn to this family. It's the family of Joseph. And I'd never thought of uh, how really messed up Joseph's family was until I started meditating for this teaching. Uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob, who was a twin. Uh, Joseph's uncle Esau was what you would call a mountain man. He was hairy. He had a big beard. Uh, he smelled like the outdoors. It, the, how many like Duck Dynasty? Okay, he, he's like that. But, the, you know, Jacob, this is the way he was. You know, he lived in tents. Um, Jacob, uh, Esau's brother, was such a sneaking cheat that God would eventually have to change his name because his name meant cheater, supplanter. Um, you know, Jacob cheated Esau, and when they finally got back together, the fear was that Esau was going to kill him. Um, so that's Joseph, uh, his father, and his uncle. How many think the family reunion, you're starting to look at it and go, I never quite thought of it like this. Um, Joseph's father, Israel, as, as his name had been changed, was the person who played favorites. Now, before you put your hand up, I'm going to ask a question. In fact, I don't want you to put your hand up. How many of you have favorites in your family? You have a favorite child. Oh, she's the only one. You can say it then. <laughs> but if you have more than one child, favoritism will destroy your family. Uh, he not only had a favorite child, he had a favorite wife. How many guys have a favorite wife? <laughs> Having more than one favorite wife will turn your family into a circus. You say, I'm glad we don't have that problem. Overseas, we as Assembly of God people have that problem because many times in other cultures, a mistress is something that is still sort of acceptable. We just got back from El Salvador, and Pastor Don over there, he said that there's only 7% of families in El Salvador that are husband, wife, and their kids. So it's not that 97% of the dad or 93% of the dads are gone, but that in only 7% is it a Christian biblical home. But there are many places where they have the husband and the wife and the mistress and maybe another mistress and maybe even another mistress, and they have all the kids, and the dad is only the dad, in quotation marks, to the wife's kids, which means then you have a dad and you've got a the mistress or whatever you want to say that has multiple kids and he supports them but he doesn't show them love or any parenting or fathering to those kids. 
And that is many times, as you just mentioned, in the church. People that come to their Sunday morning big tent revival service thing, a lot of those guys. And they're dancing in the spirit, and everybody's what? Well. And there's problems, and their families fall apart, and there's so many kids that even in the Christian uh, community are not where they should be because dads don't get it. Jacob had four wives. That makes uh, sleeping arrangements a little difficult. His favoritism is seen in Genesis 37.3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons. Uh, Israel was so into his favoritism that um, he, he didn't even try to hide his favoritism. He just has this special coat made and he gives it to his favorite son. And all the brothers know, well, you're the favorite and it causes jealousy. Um, you know, how, how's that turning out for a family circus? <laughs> Genesis 37 tells how Joseph's brothers threatened to kill him, eventually sold him into slavery. You know, I, these guys come home at, at different times, Thanksgiving, and his older brother David is in the military right now, and his uh, sister, she may be in here somewhere. Um, and they start talking at Thanksgiving or Christmas or some holiday, and I'll go, I didn't know that. How many, how many parents, you're, you're starting to hear stories now, and you go, oh. And can you picture the next Thanksgiving after the, after the 11, the 10 brothers have sold? Remember, remember that? wonder where he is. wonder what happened to him. Genesis 38 tells how one of Joseph's brothers, Judah, intermarried with the Canaanites. Uh, that story turned into a circus when Judah's son died and his Canaanite, uh, Canaanite daughter-in-law tricked him into sleeping with her because dad was supposed to get her a new husband real quick and he didn't. She gets ticked and so she dresses up, puts on a disguise and sleeps with her father-in-law. That kid could say, my dad is my own grandpa. So Joseph had a family that's full of deceit, favoritism, revenge, murder, hatred, jealousy, multiple marriages, interracial marriages, incest. You just chase that thing down and they've got a strange family. If you were a Hollywood movie writer, all you got to do is go to the family of Joseph and you've got that whole thing. Uh... Can you picture 75 of these people getting together for their next Christmas party? The sad thing is, as I was thinking about this, I realized that my own family has uh, had just about every one of those things. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized I could even add to the list. I could add divorce, mental insanity, concealed adoption uh, that came 25 years after the adoption where it had just been covered up and this kid thought his dad was his dad and one day finds out my dad is not my dad. My dad caused me to come about. He went off to Bible college. My mom raised me and my dad married her and he adopted me. That makes next Thanksgiving sort of tricky. 
Um, in the New Testament, Zebedee was the father of James and John, Matthew 10.2. Picture him giving this description of his sons, James and John. My sons are revolutionaries. They oppose the government. They're full of hatred and bitterness. Uh, they were what, what you would call zealots. They've been nicknamed sons of thunder. To top it off, I can't get them to help me with the family fishing business. In fact, they've found this itinerant preacher, and they've followed him around for the last three and a half years. How's that sound for us, for sons? How would you like having had the woman at the well, John 4, at your family reunion? John 4, 15 to 18, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come away, uh, come all the way to here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly answered. I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. See, can you picture this? You'd have had trouble keeping up with the husband she was bringing to the family reunion. No, no, she's not bringing Alpheus. She's not bringing Thaddeus or Malchus or Caesar or Philip. She's bringing somebody else, but he's not really her husband. And most of us here today, we're not immune from such families. Help my family as a circus. You know, when you think of those situations, and uh, when we were kind of getting ready for this, I, I talked, to, talked to Dad, and I was like, you're going to do a lot of the talking on this, because our family is fairly normal, our close inner family. Now, Mom's family, there's some crazy stuff that were mentioned here, like uh, an aunt, I believe that killed her kids to save them from the to hardships of the world. That's pretty crazy, right? I mean, the, the situations of the world that come upon us, you know, but what should our outlook be? In Psalm 68, 6, it says, God places the lonely in families. God places us, is how it says. It's like being said, we're not just dropped in somewhere and hope that everything works out, but that we're placed in situations, we're placed at places like if you were at your house and you placed a piece of furniture, you put, God places us where we are, which means that number one, we can make it through. You know, when we're looking on the outlook, it, guess what? It means we can do more than survive, but we can thrive whatever the situation is. Now, some people, if you look on the outward, you look on the natural, you're going to look and say, this is a little more difficult than my friend or than someone I know. This is, my family's a little wilder. My family follows after Joseph here that we just heard about more maybe than somebody around me. But God, he has placed us in a place. Uh, and there shouldn't be that loneliness. That's the hope. Uh, something that I always love. Uh, it, we always go to the Thanksgiving Dad mentioned. We go to Dayton and we spend time with our aunt and uncle and their co our cousins. My brother. His brother. And we laugh more when we go to Thanksgiving <laughs> I think, than any other time ever, like in the world. And it's not always because everything they say is right or good. In fact, if mom, I, I'm guessing mom and my sister are out somewhere, um, they, <laughs> oh, Jamie's in the back. There we go. Watching the baby, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> there were a few times when mom, at a certain point in the day, she wanted to go take her book and go get in the car or find a place away from everybody else because she's like, I've had about all I can handle of, 
of whatever it would be, whether it's a conversation about women in ministry, which mom's in ministry, just for the fun of riling up my mom, right? Anybody have those kind of family things? But we would laugh Oh, they, and they laugh. discuss preachers that will not tuck their shirts in. <laughs> or wear shorts. <laughs> or wear shorts. I mean, that family discussion about, I can't believe our pastor doesn't tuck his shirt in. And they were just going on and on, and we're sort of well, I'm going to better tuck mine in next time I come. <laughs> and we're not even sure when every one of those conversations is actually real or if they do it just because they know it'll rile us up. And we, I love it because when we go, we have fun. And it is a blast. And you go, and I'm sure every one of your families, there's those people that you have the most fun. Now, when you get done, you're like, I don't know if that was supposed to be encouraging or not, but why not choose to let it be encouraging? That's something I always, that's how my, I live my life. Let's be encouraged. And, but God places us in place. We are chosen. You know, and it's not always easy. It's not always something that you would necessarily choose yourself. Sometimes, maybe you're in a, in a place where you're like, God, why did you do this to me? Why? Or maybe it's not your family, but when you have to go to one of those family reunions. Or maybe your kids. Maybe that's even where they're like, do we have to go to our family? Do we have to go? You know, God has you there. He's put you there for, uh, for a reason. In Genesis 50, 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And, and when we're talking in the life of Joseph and continuing that story, what his family meant for evil, what they meant to turn into be something that, number one, they wanted to kill him. So just a brother saved his life by saying, ah, let's not kill him. Let's sell him, right? That sounds like a good trade-off, I guess. I'm not dead. But right here, it says what, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, that Joseph, his life became so amazing and awesome, and we know about Joseph more than any of the other brothers, because his brothers, well, first because his dad played favorites, right? I mean, it started there. Then because his brothers hated him, because he was sent and sold to Egypt, that then he became the second in command, that God blessed the earth through Joseph, who came out of a horrible, I think you could just say it, a horrible situation. And that God, he has you right where you are, and not so you can be beat up, or so that you can feel like you've been abused, or so that you can be hurt every time you go to a family function, or feel like you've just been sold, that they want you out of there. But God has placed you there, and I believe that God wants to use you in the situation, in the place right where you are. And it might not be easy. Maybe you becoming a Christian, maybe that's been recent. Maybe that has been something that all of a sudden your parents don't want any part or your family doesn't want any part. Maybe a sibling doesn't want any part of you or your life because you're a Jesus person, you're a Christian. And man, God has placed you there to make a difference. Uh, the purpose of marriage is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. Okay, if you haven't been here over the past, if you want to remember anything, remember this little statement because I'm going to change it up a little bit. The purpose of marriage is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. The purpose of family is not to make you happy, it's to make them holy. The reason God has placed you in your family is not to make you happy. Are you getting the drift? God's not about your happiness. He'll make you happy when you follow him, but his purpose 
is, is not to go, here, I want you to be happy. He puts you in the family you're in to make your family holy. For you to be an influence, for you to be that, that one that's making the change. You're the change agent. And so when God set you, he didn't go, oh, well, i got to set her where it's going to be easy or where she's going to be happy because of it. He said, I'm going to set you there because I trust you, and I believe God can use you to make holiness happen in that family. Ezekiel 2, 5, As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. God puts you and me in crazy families so that there will be a prophet in that family. Turn to somebody and say, I am a prophet. Some of you are cheating. You didn't do it. Turn to somebody else and say, I am a prophet. And I know there are some of you who say, I've been working on the salvation of my family for years. I've not seen one of them come to Christ. Our job is not to save them. Our job is to give them the information and the light that they need to make an informed decision. Our job is to be the prophet in their lives. Psalm 126.6 He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And our task is to just keep going back and forth, to and fro with our bag, planting the seed. You and I would rather eat the seed But God wants us to plant the seed in, in, that, in, in that circus ring. And we'd rather go to a different circus ring. Maybe the second ring over, or maybe the third ring over. Um, Jesus in the garden said, God, can I change the ring? I don't like this ring, this circus that I'm a part of right now, so can I change it? Uh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God placed you. He set you. You're probably not going to get to change the ring of your family circus. Uh, We're to just keep going back and forth, and notice that Psalm 126.6 It says, we will go with weeping. We'd rather be eating the seed, celebrating, rejoicing. God does not promise that serving him is going to be easy. It's going to be rewarding. It's going to be eternally blissful. But while you're here in the staging area, in the first 60, 80, 90 years of preparation, getting ready for your eternity, it's not always going to be easy. Someone has said that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Here's the truth. The grass is always greener where you water it. And it's often at the end of the septic tank. (laughs) That wasn't in the notes. That was in experience. (laughs) You know, why did I get the brother who's a drug addict? Why did I have to have a mom who's been married ten times? Why was my uncle a child molester? 
And you can go through the list of why did I? Why did I? And, uh, but God set you there. And he must have thought that he could trust you to do the job that he needed in that circus. And he wants you to water the grass right, where, right in the ring where you are. And the family's not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make them holy. You know, when we, when we look at it, and every one of us, I would pretty much be willing to say, has people in our family that are like some of these things. Definitely people who need Jesus. People that need us to keep watering, to keep blessing. And you would say, what, what do I do? Maybe right where you are, maybe you come here today, and maybe even there was a reunion recently, or there's not been this year for the first time, or whatever it might be. All that we can do is we can keep loving. We can keep showing, showing them the love of God. And I like what Dad said earlier. Most of the time, I think, it's not because we go in and we point a finger and this is what, ah, you need to, you need to, you need to. But it's a showing of who we are, showing of what God's done in us. Maybe there's things that you can ask for forgiveness, just like with a kid, the same thing with a family member. Even where you don't feel like you need to because you don't feel like you did anything wrong. Maybe that would open up a, a line of communication between you. You just have to keep loving them. You're the prophet God gave them. You're the one that's there before them. And when I think of the prophets in the Bible, I don't think that was a job that most people would just love to have for most of the prophets, where they're stuck out, where the kings don't like them, they hate them. They give what the word that God has given, and, and they are not blessed on the outward, for sure. They're not blessed physically because they said what God said. But that we are the prophet God has given. And we need to speak with love and with kindness. We need to speak with the, the blessing of God. We need to pray for our family. We need to cry out to God for them and believe for them. And, you know, the word, it talks about that the Bible, it does not return void. And so I encourage every chance, they might not even know, but every chance there's a, a time where you get to just share a little Bible. You don't have to say in this verse, chapter and verse. You can just speak it as a normal part of your, your conversation. The word does not return void. So pray over them. Speak the word over them. Uh, let God use you right where you are, right in the rough situation of your family or with maybe only one member that you have a problem with. You can make a difference. And you know, when I real practically think about it, there might be someone here today that you haven't talked to a dad, a mom, a brother, a sister, a cousin, because of one incident that could have been a year or two or 10 ago. And I, I believe so strongly that obviously that's not God's heart ever. And that the words of I am sorry, or I'm not sorry, but forgive me, I did wrong. I chose something wrong, or I'm, I'm sorry that I hurt you. And would you forgive me for what I have done? Those things can change a whole dynamic just because you were willing to make one phone call. And in those situations, what's the worst that happens? They don't accept it and you don't talk to them for another year? They're already there. So make the step, make the move. And God wants to turn some of those things that are just crazy circus stuff, that God wants to turn those around. And so often, you as the prophet have to be the one that's willing to say, God, I don't even think I did anything wrong, but I am going to come and ask for forgiveness. Make up something you did so that they can know that you mean it. If that's, if that's really what you feel, make it up. I'm, I'm sorry for this. Forgive me for this. And would you forgive me? I want to be a part of your life and see what God would do. He'll turn it. We just keep being salt and light. I remember days writing to family gatherings 
um, after my mom and dad came to Christ, I remember them sitting in the front seat of the car. We were on our way to the next family gathering, and I remember them uh, talking about what they were going to say, what they were going to do to the attacks, to the crazy happenings that were going to be happening at our family gathering. Um, you know, family members thought my, my parents had gone off the deep end and, that, and they went in a pool with no water in it. Um, they thought my parents had gone nuts. And uh, Kay and I will never forget one day, one of my cousins and his wife, over years of me just planting seeds and doing things in regards to him, he had become a Methodist pastor. First seven years of his being a pastor, he wasn't a Christian. He just wanted to do something good for mankind, so he became a Methodist pastor. Seven years later, a lady in his congregation led him to faith in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for people that love you. And that, that lady was there in the Methodist church. Well, years and years later, he calls me. And I've been giving him books for Christmas presents at the family gathering and different things. And he'd take them. He'd never say a word about them. We go out to lunch with them. We're sitting there, and they finally said, can, 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 can we ask you a question? Well, yeah. I, we sort of figured this was a part of this thing, and they said, um, do, 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 do you speak in tongues? I almost fell on the floor. <laughs> do I speak in tongues? Yes! They said, we've been watching Freddy on Friday nights. I said, Freddy? Yeah, Fred Price. I'm going, what? This is my family, people. They said, do you have that happen on Sunday mornings in your church? See how far we'd come? Where we have to plan what we're saying. It, but it doesn't happen in a matter of minutes. It had been decades. Um, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And I want to challenge you. Uh, you know, had, a, had a lady this week come up and ask a question. My family just, they trash us. My own dad, he, he just ridicules me. He puts me down. And um, I want to encourage those of you that are going through that. Uh, see relating to those family as, as your ministry, your pulpit. We, we all have a different style pulpit. When I worked at Sears as an auto mechanic, my pulpit was a car rack. And I would minister to the guy in the next car rack underneath the car. And our pulpits are all different. But we all have these family situations, and that's our pulpit. Where we have the opportunity to share Jesus, to live our lives, to let the fruit of the Spirit come out of us so that when people bite us, they get this sweet nectar instead of, our fighting back, our aggression back toward them. And uh, 
Tomorrow we're going to talk about the church family. And uh, I'm so glad that I can come to this place, even though I don't know a lot of your names. We're family. This is our family reunion. Have your local church be your family so that when you go to your biological family reunion and you get trashed, you have this place. You have the body of Christ where you can come and you can celebrate and you can rejoice and you can love and you can play and laugh. And they're not going to ridicule you because you know Jesus. You have a heart for heaven. Family is not about making you happy. Family is about you making them holy. God set you there. I don't like where God set me. Take that up with him. <laughs> um, question. We'll take one from the floor about family. Yeah. Hold on just a second. Um, this is a little tricky, but what do you do when a family member like his dad doesn't accept our adopted son and has like totally disowned us because of that and how do we be your you know like yeah okay if if you couldn't hear that they've adopted a child and his dad doesn't accept that adopted child what do you do with that basically cut you off is that yeah uh, that's one of those things where you instantly, prayer's the number one uh, priority. Um, and I, I think we continue to give opportunities, continue to invite them to be a part of your lives periodically. Um, and if that happens, you have to be careful to protect your child. And uh, you, you never let abuse come that direction. Um, you know, keep that fruit out there. And I'm sorry, I don't have a really, really easy answer for that. Um, you know, God is God is probably dealing with a prejudice in His life of, of some type, and um, you know, I, I would probably, in, in a conversation, say, "Dad, even though you don't accept Him as our child." Uh, would you accept him as a human being and not cut the rest of us off because of that? So. I'm sure all of this applies as well to the family of God where we've been planted. And, and we're going to deal with that tomorrow. That's tomorrow's uh, discussion. Help, you know, my church family. Um, and, and we're going to deal with a lot of different issues like this. And it does apply. You know, help, my church family's a mess. You know, your church family is not necessarily about making you happy either. It's about you 
you making that look more like Jesus? Anybody else? Pastor John? Look at that. We got done on time. It's a first. <laughs> Thank you. I wonder if uh, Dwayne and uh, Marla would come on up and just help us lead in prayer. Just help us lead in prayer. Just help us lead in prayer.